A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Baghdad Soundwalks. Hello, fellow travelers. Welcome to Baghdad Soundwalks. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. And we've made it. We are at the end of our journey. Where are we headed for our final stop in Baghdad? Dina, I have saved the best for last the House of Wisdom. AKA the Great Library, where we finally get to dive into the cultural and intellectual achievements of medieval Baghdad. I mean, for nerds like me, the House of <laughs> Wisdom is the dream. This is my Library of Alexandria. The Library of Alexandria was built by Cleopatra, by the way. Oh, yeah. And interestingly enough, we have something similar here. Harun al-Rashid, the famed caliph who ruled over that golden period of Abbasid Baghdad, he's often credited with building the House of Wisdom. But in actuality... It was his wife, Zubaida, who founded it. Of course. She was a major patron of the arts and sciences. Do people know that it was Zubaida or is it... Historians know, but the average person probably not. Wow. Zubaida is one of those queens whose name keeps popping up across our journey. She was also the one funding the pilgrimage roads and the caravan Sarai roads too. We all aspire to have her impact, Dina. <laughs> Seriously. So the House of Wisdom was a library? It was the private library of the Khalif that housed his books originally, but it was also an institution that funded scholars, learning, and most importantly, translation. I remember you mentioning that translation is such an important process. It's the only way we know what we know. I mean, even the information in this episode is only possible because someone somewhere translated important texts like the writings of Euclid, Aristotle and Plato. What we know about science and mathematics are all part of the process of translation. That's a pretty important point. I mean, it makes you really think. Knowledge throughout history is really a product of a collective process of people working together across cultures and centuries. That makes total sense for Baghdad, Ali. We talked about how medieval Baghdad was made up of Muslims, Jews, Christians, Arabs, Persians, Greeks, Africans, and Syriac people. And even location reflects that blending. You know, that cultural sharing that you're talking about, Dina, becomes so important for the Abbasids. Even their predecessors, the Umayyads, were interested in knowledge of other cultures and societies. But it's really the Abbasids that would take it to the next level. They'll translate the great works of Greek and Persian thinkers, stuff that had been silent line to some degree in Europe, but now they would be brought back into the public debate and learning in medieval Baghdad. This reminds me that the city design was partly based on Euclid. Yeah, we see all these old classics, Plato and Aristotle, Galen's and Ptolemy, Hipparchus. So the House of Wisdom was home to both the translation movement, bringing Greek and Persian knowledge into Arabic, and it was home for the texts themselves. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably more of a learning center plus a library or maybe a public academic center. Did it start that way or did it gradually evolve into that? I mean, under Al-Mansur, who was the founder of Baghdad, it starts off really as a private library for the Khalif. But under Harun al-Rashid, it becomes this public learning center thanks to the patronage of his wife, Zubaydah. 
She's the money behind the whole operation. Absolutely. This was a cushy time to be a scholar, especially under either Zubaydah and later under Al-Ma'mun. The man who ends up winning the War of the Two Brothers. Mm -hmm. So after he's established himself as Khalif and restored his empire, he turns his attention to the House of Wisdom. Yeah, Al-Ma'mun really fancies himself as a sort of philosopher king, so he expands those translation efforts greatly. And he even used to hold regular scholarly debates himself. You weren't kidding when you said the Abbasid Khalifs fancy themselves as warrior nerds. I mean, the whole society was like this. Knowledge was deeply, deeply valued. The result of this was that knowledge spread throughout society. You saw philosophers engage in public debates, translated works, wouldn't just be hidden away, but even copied so that they were made for reading. We had high literacy rates and scholars held positions of power. Just like the Mutanabi or the street of booksellers, I can still envision the books piled high as people sort through them. Oh, a dream. All right, Ali, why don't we step into the House of Wisdom? Who would we meet there? So scholars from all over would be drawn to Baghdad. The House of Wisdom was a magnet. If you could land a job there, the chance of learning the mysteries of the universe and engaging with your fellow scholars, that's ace. In the same way young people apply to certain colleges today, like Oxford or Cambridge or Sorbonne or Harvard. Like those kids, education was a way to get ahead in life, to go up the social ladder, so to speak. But it was also a way to participate in something deeply valued, learning. So you'd have people from all walks of life. You had Fabit ibn Qura, who was a haran, a special religion that worshipped the stars. He would translate Euclid and Ptolemy. You had Ibn Ishaq, who was an Nestorian Christian, a physician, and he would translate Galen's and Hippocrates. You have original, brand new types of mathematics from Al-Khwarezmi, and you'd have fusion Islamic and Aristotelian philosophy under Al-Kindi. The combination of translation and original work must have had major consequences, though, Ali. We talked about how there was such a big advancement in science and technology in this time, I'm still imagining those beautiful water clocks and mechanical clocks. Right, the one that I want in my garden and you want an elephant. Yes. (laughs) Good memory. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, Dina, this is the birth of modern science and mathematics as we know it. Ibn Sina's Kanun of Medicine is the standard of medicine for the next thousand years. I said that right. A thousand years. His model will be used. The idea of quarantining, the idea of germ theory all comes from Ibn Sina. Al-Khwarezmi will give us the algebra and algorithm, modern mathematics as we know it, the ones and the zeros. And Ibn al-Haytham gives us the scientific method. Ah, so I have Al-Khwarezmi to thank for my math classes in school. Al-Khwarezmi had to be a nerd and now we are all suffering for it. (laughs) (laughs) But as much as he's a pain, he's the man who introduces the zero from India, Stifr. It's part of the Arabic mathematics of this time period. That alone is what makes technology like computers, cell phones, and any technology really that relies on ones and zeros possible. So much of what we study in school is really only possible because of the advancement 
in this moment. I mean, without the House of Wisdom, there goes a lot of science and medicine, maths and chemistry. School would be really different without them. And we've got to throw in astronomy too. I mean, we see such a massive advancement in astronomy. One of Al-Mansur's closest friends is a guy named Yahya ibn Abi Mansur. And he creates the most advanced solar eclipse calculations the world has seen to this date. And of course, advancements in astrology. The only reason we know what our star signs are is because people of Yahya ibn Abi Mansur and Abu Mashar who write them down. Ah, astrology. We've seen the importance of that in the founding of Baghdad itself. Ali, do you want to try and guess my star sign? All right, all right. Based off of your positive energy, I'm going to guess a Gemini. But based off of your ability to keep me and this podcast in line, I'm going to guess Virgo. So it's one of those two. I don't know where to start with the compliments you're giving me or the fact that you actually did guess my star sign. Oh, did I? (laughs) You did. I am a Virgo, but I don't trust you. I reckon you found my date of birth somehow. I'm not that technologically literate, so that's an it's totally a guess. Here, let's actually read what the most famous Abbasid astrologer says about your sign. This is a man named Abu Mashar, who in the 9th century writes the most important text of astrology. He says, those born under Virgo or Al-Adra are said to be pleasant but anxious about the future, playful but restrained. They grow to be wise, are just, generous, judgmental, and cultured. They enjoy music and have good manners. I'm currently speechless because I need to ask you, are you making this up? No, no, I swear. That's a little too true. It's quite scary how accurate that was. I don't really know how to feel about that. I mean, there's a reason astrology was the queen of the sciences for them. In fact, they actually build some of the world's first and most amazing observatories so that they can watch the stars. You know, my homework tonight is going to be hunting your star sign down. (laughs) I'm going to use any evidence that is out there to get it because I'm actually in awe of what just happened. It's classified. What I really want to know, Ali, is did they share this knowledge? Because they built a society that generally valued knowledge. All of medieval Baghdad is caught up in it. But what about the rest of the world? You know, remember when we talked about Abbasid diplomacy and how they relied on trade routes, which allowed them to send lavish gifts? Mm -hmm. Well, some of those gifts that they were sending were engineering marvels and whole treasure troves of books. One of those mechanical clocks makes its way to Europe, in fact. I still want the gift of an elephant. Uh, I remember how access to paper from China made books cheaper so they could produce more and more books. Yeah, that was the effect on the outlying regions as well, from Cairo to Cordoba, Samarkand, Balkh, Damascus. All of these are going to become major centers of knowledge. This is an Islamic impulse that is shared amongst all of them. Who are some of the other scholars we would see in the House of Wisdom? So in addition to the cultural mix, we talked of Muslims, we talked of Christians. We also saw that knowledge was open to women at this time. You had Zainab al-Shada, who was the first jurist. In fact, some argue that she might have been a sort of the equivalent of a Supreme Court justice at this time period, the high court. You have Fakhur al-Nisa, who was a Hadith scholar. And as you know, the Hadiths are the sayings of Muhammad. So she was incredibly important for religion. And of course, you had Zumarud Khatun, who uh, creates her own mosque and becomes a patron of it. So you 
have women justices, women scholars, even religious leaders in this time period. It's so exciting to see women participate in intellectual culture like this because we don't have many cases of women theologians and scholars in medieval Europe at this time period, at least not for another several centuries. Yeah, I mean, women were legally entitled to an education under Islamic law. And given that the Abbasids had this great love of learning, it makes perfect sense for them. It's why you end up with female theologians and female scientists like Sutayata, who's working on algorithms. And, you know, these are only the women that we know about. I imagine there were even more whose names we don't know or who lived quiet scholarly lives. I mean, we know that there were many women translators, for example. We don't know all their names, but the very texts that we read today were made possible by them. Now that is what I call leaving an impact. You know, the House of Wisdom's influence cannot be overstated. It was culturally, intellectually, one of the greatest turning points in history. Without it, our civilizations today would look vastly different. Ali, you really did save the best to last. I love it. The House of Wisdom was everything I imagined it to be. When you have a name as fancy as that, it's hard to live up to it, but it really did. And what's even more exciting is that we'll be diving further into some of these intellectual figures in our next season as we continue our journey. For now, we've studied the layout and design of the city, like fellow travellers walking through from Baghdad's winding streets to its palaces. From its mosque to its house of wisdom. We've seen a lot, but there is still so much more. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dina. And I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Follow Echoes of History wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time, fellow travelers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.